onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banners go. Call to arms. Call for us to be single-minded. For us to volunteer and not be enlisted. And for us to do it together. Let's pray together. Father, your people have been coming together since the very beginning of time. When you moved on their hearts and you got their attention and you captured them and brought them together as a church. Your people have been coming together, singing songs of praise to you and acknowledging you, praying to you and at the same time hearing your word preached so that we might know what it is you have to say. It's our turn, Lord. We're the church today. We're the church that you have anointed and blessed and showed your mercy to. A church you've been so very graceful to. And you, dear God, have demonstrated all those parts of your character as you have related to us and through Jesus allowed us to relate to you. And here we are, Lord, the last Sunday in May of 2013. And with the rest of our life to live for you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you give us. Wherever our minds have been and wherever our feet have taken us and whatever our mouths have uttered this past week, we have a whole new beginning today. A time when we can be refocused and commit our hearts to you and give thanks to you and be part of that mighty army that you've raised up. Father, I know if we were to take a look, as you do, at where we've been this last week and what we've done, sometimes we may not have looked like that army. Sometimes we might have even looked like members of someone else's army. Sometimes we've been distracted and sometimes we've allowed our own desires to dictate who we are and what we do. Lord, I ask you to forgive us. Every one of us have sin in our lives, and I pray that you'd bring us under the convicting power of your Holy Spirit, and I pray you'd purge that sin, that you'd crucify that sin, as Paul tells us. And while that might take a while and while that might be painful, I pray, dear God, that you would do that. Help us to be the men and women and young folks that you want us to be the ones that Jesus has died for, the ones that have a place prepared in heaven for eternity. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for what you do here. 
I thank you for what you do in your church in this community and around this state and our country and this world. I thank you, dear God, that you're by our side and that you're walking with us and talking with us and helping us. I know when we come together, Lord, there are a lot of things that can cause us to stumble and even to doubt or question. I pray that you would help us to see your hand at work in our daily lives. And when we start to doubt, Lord, I pray that you would convince us once again by your love and by your presence that you haven't taken your hand off of us and that you're going to work things out according to your purpose. Father, there are some this day in our church who struggle with physical problems, issues of health, some of which are even life-threatening. There are others in our church who come together with significant concern about financial matters. Others who have broken relationships in their families and among friends and at work. And Lord, the list just goes on and on because we're a broken people living in a broken world. There's some people this day who've been struck by tornadoes whose homes and churches have been destroyed. There are all sorts of challenges to our life. I pray your special blessing and I pray that we might have a peace down deep inside that comes by the abiding of your Holy Spirit. And that that peace would not be dependent on the things that we see or the things we have, but would be dependent on you. I pray for our country. I pray for those who are in the military who defend our land. I pray for the spouses and children and other family members of those who've given their life. Might we remember them, Lord, on this Memorial Day. Father, we need your help. And you have promised to be our Father and to put your arms around us as children. Help us to feel that embrace. And to remember how much you love us. Thank you, dear God, for a time with you in prayer. Thank you for hearing us and thank you for always responding out of love and out of grace with an understanding far beyond our comprehension. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles to Jude, next to last book in the Old Testament, to Jude. We're going to spend a few Sundays studying Jude and seeing what God has for us in the passage. This morning we're going to look at Jude, verses 1 through 4. And I encourage you to open your Bibles and to keep them open as we move together through the passage. Jude, verses 1 through 4. Once you've found your place, put your finger in your Bible. 
You ever wonder why I end a pastoral prayer and then take us right back into prayer to pray over the word? I am convinced in my heart of hearts God's about to visit with us. And he's going to talk to us and tell us exactly what we need to know and it's going to fit so perfectly in our lives. And you ought to walk out of church on Sunday morning, as I trust I will, with a new treasure and say, that was for me. So I want to stop and ask God to help that happen. Pray with me. Father, don't let us come to your word with our own intellect and our own experience and that only. Instead, I pray for the quickening of your Holy Spirit, that as you have done in generations past, you would do this morning, that you would open your word to us and we would understand it and believe it, and we would see the application in our daily life, and we would take it home and live it out. So I pray, dear God, your blessing as we turn to your word, and I thank you in advance for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Any of you been to Manila in the Philippines? A few of you? Lovely people who like Americans, and that's always nice. Hospitable folks, and lots of them, on very narrow roads and streets. If you're in Manila the capital and you're making your way up the island out of the city of Manila but still within the city limits you'll see an interesting sign on the side of the road it's a big sign, big billboard and it says Whack Whack Golf Club I saw that and turned in I mean that's what I've always done on the golf course Whack Whack and I thought that's a wonderful name for a golf course I pulled in and I went into their pro shop and they have golf balls and it says whack whack golf course and club. Well, I have a lot of buddies who play golf in my previous church. I bought a bunch of golf balls and took them home and gave them to them. Whack whack. I thought that was appropriate. Got back in the car and I was laughing and the folks we were with were laughing and I was just a picturing some of my buddies that I was going to give the balls to. And we, we drove on out that road just a little bit, and I saw another sign. It said, American Cemetery. We turned in. When we passed through the gates, it was as if God had dropped a curtain all around that place. And the sound from outside in that magnificent city didn't penetrate that cemetery. There was this unusual quiet. We drove down this main road in the cemetery, stopped and got out, and we walked up a hill, and it's a hilly cemetery. And at the very top of this hill, centerpiece, was a white chapel. I wonder if our government were to build a cemetery today if they'd put a chapel in the middle of it. Right in the very center. And I became aware just in a few moments that I was in one of the 24 cemeteries 
that were built after the Second World War outside the boundaries of our country. Then I became aware that 125,000 soldiers were never brought home. They were buried in those cemeteries. The one in Manila is the largest of those 24. Over 17,000 soldiers are buried there. And if you stand with your back to the White Chapel and you look down those beautiful cascading hills, there are white crosses as far as you can see. It is a profound sight. They have built two walls, and on those walls they have put the names of 36,000 additional soldiers whose remains were never found. And then they have 25 mosaics. And you can walk along and look at these big mosaics. And on each one of those is pictured one of the battles, one of the fights that our soldiers were involved in in the Pacific Theater. They commemorated things that happened in China, India, Burma, and throughout all the southeast. I read some of the inscriptions. There was one theme reoccurring over and over, and that is what those people had done for us, what they had forfeited or contributed that caused them to be dead. I sat down in my study this week as I was working on my sermon, and I thought to myself, when they put my tombstone up, which I hope somebody will do, I wonder what it will say. What's the most important thing that's happened in your life that you have been a part of? What is it you've bought into and have lived that somebody's going to take note of? How much money you made? They're going to put a dollar sign on it? I don't think so. What kind of position you held in life? I, I don't think so. Maybe a reference to your family? That's really important. But even more importantly, maybe a reference to our relationship to God. That is the only thing that has an effect today and eternally. Nothing else. How are you going to be remembered? When I read through Jude as I started to prepare the first in this series, I asked myself that question over and over. And I see in Jude what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And I thought, I'd like to have this on my tombstone. I'd like to be remembered for the spiritual part of my life. Like you, there's some other parts I'd like nobody to remember, particularly God. But I'd like to be remembered for walking with him. Wouldn't you? As we study this together, I I want you to think about that. And keep testing it back against who you are and, and the life that you're living. And ask yourself, is this the kind of person I am? Let me read to you from Jude, starting with the first verse. 
Listen very carefully, for God is about to speak to you and to me. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt a necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly people who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. As I read through that, I did the fundamental kind of things you do. I thought to myself, well, Jude's trying to tell us who he is. He says that he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He also says that he is the brother of James. That means he could be possibly the youngest brother of Jesus. Not likely, but possibly. It also means he was a follower of Jesus. He calls himself a bondservant. Aren't those wonderful words, bondservant? Bonded as a servant to someone else? Are you bonded to someone or something? Most of us are. Interesting thing, if we're not bond servants to Jesus, we're bond servants to somebody or something or an ideology or we're connected somehow. That's our nature. And Jude says, I'm a bond servant of Jesus. You know what a bond servant does? They identify with their master. They serve their master. They live to please their master. They find their joy and their significance, not in the things of this world, but in him. And there are so many of us who go to church on Sunday who try to find our significance someplace else. And folks, it will never work. It has never worked in the past. It'll never work in the future. And if you're on that rabbit trail, I encourage you to stop right now and say to yourself, is God saying he wants me to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is, absolutely. That's why he tells us this. He goes on to say, as he begins to explain who his audience is, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. He's talking about who his church is. I looked at the word called, and I wanted it to say effectively called, efficiently called. I wanted to get my Reformed theology in there, and that's not quite what that word means. 
So to be honest with the scripture, I'm going to tell you exactly what it means. It means somebody hollered out loud enough to get our attention. Simply. We were called by God. We were called to be part of his family. We were called to live with him and to breathe with him and to be part of him. He goes on to say he's writing this letter to the beloved in God the Father. You know what it means to be beloved? Is there anybody who doesn't want to be loved? Even the bad guys want to be loved. Everybody has that built into us. God has put it in our very hearts to want to be accepted and to be loved. And what God has done after he has put that desire in us is he has come to us and he has selected when, where, and whom. And he has come to us and presented himself to us. And he doesn't come by saying, now here's what I want you to do for me. And I've given you these talents and gifts and I want you to respond with them. That's not what he does. He comes to us and says, I love you. Ellen got it right before it came out of my mouth. That's right. That's how he approached us. I love you right where you are. I love you even though you're a mess. I love you even though you don't get it right all the time. And even though I have to keep telling you over and over and over the same thing, I still love you. And I love the way it's said in the Gospel of John. John says he's never going to throw us away. He's never going to get fed up and cast us off. He loves us. And how has he demonstrated that? He's demonstrated that so simply and beautifully. And he did something for us that you and I cannot do for each other and we cannot do for ourselves. He allowed his son to come and die to pay the price for your sins and mine. And they would never have been paid for any other way. There's no other way to get reconciled to God except through Jesus. He showed us how much he loved us. And then you know what he did as a bonus? He had sent his Holy Spirit to touch us and to bring us into this relationship. And then he says, and I'm going to leave my spirit with you. That didn't happen in Old Testament times. The spirit would visit a person and then leave that person. And he said, no, I'm going to leave my spirit with you. And my spirit is going to be your counselor. And my spirit is going to be the one who influences you on a daily basis. I think maybe he knew how much we were in need. And he left the spirit with us to help us to that end. Let there be no question. God is all about love. That's what the relationship's all about. And if you get the order right, you then begin to understand. I think Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 do this beautifully. It talks about the plan of salvation. It explains how we come to faith by grace, not by works. And when he gets through the Apostle Paul explaining that, the 10th verse, he says, oh, by the way, before the creation of the world, God already planned for the things he wants you to do. There's a place for works. There's a place for service. It has nothing to do with coming to know Jesus or experiencing God's love. It's our way of saying, thank you. Thank you, Father, for loving us. So, who's he writing the letter to? He's writing the letter to those who are beloved. And then he goes on to say, 
that he's going to keep the interesting phrase and keep for Jesus Christ. I think that means two things. I think, first of all, he's saying, when you come into a saving relationship, I'm going to be there with you. You may not be aware that I'm there with you, but I'm going to be with you every moment of every day for the rest of your life. The Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us who are believers has proceeded from the Father and the Son. Jesus is right here. And if we're not aware of it, it's because we've lost our sensitivity. If you want to regain that sensitivity, every time you encounter a challenge, stop and say, Lord, where are you? What are you doing in this situation? Because he's there. Every time. Can you hear that? Every time. And when we miss that, it's because we've broken focus. We've broken concentration. How can he not be there if he's dwelling in us and guiding our life? So I encourage you, when you get anxious, ask yourself, where's the Lord in this? Because he's in it, folks, because he loves you. So, who's he writing this letter to? Is he writing it to you? Are you the called? Did he call out and get your attention? Are you the beloved? Are you the ones that are being kept? Kept not only now, but for eternity. I hope you're secure in your salvation. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. When a sovereign God says, you're mine, and he captures you and draws you to himself, he will never let you go. He already knows what you're going to do in the future. If he was going to change his mind, which he doesn't do, he wouldn't have taken you to be his to start with. So you cannot lose your salvation. He says, I'm going to keep you. Now, folks, you and I ought to feel really secure. We live in a very insecure world, and we're surrounded by all kinds of insecurity, but you and I have something going for us that's pretty significant. And that is we can be rooted in the word of God and know the truth. And the truth is, God loves us. And he is going to keep us. So, is this letter for you? Is that who you are? Because Jude is writing to the church that fit those kind of qualifications. In verse 2, you see a greeting. This is the same kind of greeting that Peter gives in his communications and that Paul gives in his. It's a very common New Testament greeting. He says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Wish it didn't say may. Wish it just said it will. Because it says may suggest it may not always be this way. You know what the mercy is? It's by grace giving us something we don't deserve. Looking at us and we're guilty and he says, you're guilty, Jesus will die for you, 
and I forgive you. That's mercy. And as you rethink the salvation you've experienced, if you'll rethink that personally, you'll begin to understand more and more what God has done for you. And then an amazing thing ought to happen. You ought to become more merciful. Not abiding evil, not agreeing with evil, but be more merciful. How many of you don't need mercy? I need mercy. When I mess up, I need Linda to say it's going to be okay. So what God is saying, I've shown mercy to you. Now you grow in your ability to show mercy to others. He says the second thing. He says, may you have more peace. I have a friend, and some of you have the same friend. I've heard him say several times, well, that's just how it is. Let's get on with it. And I've been thinking about that, and then this last week while I was on vacation, I heard somebody else say that. And I thought, you know, that's really what it's all about. Times, things are just tough. And when they get tough, we have a tendency to not be at peace. So what we do is we try to fix this stuff outside to become at peace, and you can't do that. You're not in control of those things. So the peace is in here. The peace is between you and God. And there are times you need to just say, wait a minute, and back up and go find a dark closet and close the door and be by yourself with the Lord. And get re-rooted in him and go to your scriptures and read and let him speak to you and talk to him in prayer and get your foundation back under you. And that's where the peace comes from, from focusing on God and not focusing on what's happening in your life that's causing all of the anxiety. Have you experienced this? You have a situation, and it really scares you to death. Haven't we had this? I don't care who you are. If you just hang around long enough, you're going to have those moments. And you look at the situation, and it not only scares you, but you become anxious. And you start reeling off, what are all the possibilities? What can I do? How can I manage this? How can I get it to change? And it doesn't change. And then you remember to refocus on God. And you get in that prayer closet. And you come back out rerooted. The situation hasn't changed at all, and you have a peace. Have you ever experienced that? You know what changed? Not the situation, not the challenge. This is what changed. And that's where the peace comes from. Saying, you call me, you're my heavenly father, you got a plan, you're working your plan. Thank you that you didn't ask me to plan it. Because I know I'd make a mess out of it. You know, God hasn't called me one time and asked my advice. Neither have any of our presidents. I promise you, 
I'd give the presidents some counsel. This is about buying into where God is, not trying to get God to buy into where we are. It's getting to know his mind and remembering his heart. He goes on and says to us that he wants to see love grow in us. Every now and then I I go back to a town that Linda and I lived in when we first got married, and we're talking about doing that tomorrow. It's over on the other side of Atlanta, and and, um, oh my goodness, I didn't have an education, I didn't have a trade, I didn't know anything about anything. I was just married. I was very much in love, and that's where it all stopped. I had no possibilities at all. And God put his hand on me. And he led me through this maze. And as I've gone through the maze like you have, he's directed my steps. He helped me get a trade. He helped me get an education, which was an amazement to my family. He's done all kind of beautiful things. And I stand here today by the grace of God. He has loved me. And he cares about me. And he loves you and he cares about you. Count your blessings. If I go back to Carrollton, Georgia tomorrow, it will be simply to drive by and look at the one-bedroom little cottage we started out in and drive by the manufacturing company where I worked and to remember from whence I have come and what God has done, how much he loves me. Do you understand? Do you notice Jude says he wants those three things to multiply in our lives? He doesn't want us just to come to faith. He's saying it's not enough just to accept Jesus. You ought to grow in your faith. You ought to grow in the way you live your life. You ought to grow in your focus. And then in the third and fourth verses, he talks about the real purpose of his letter. He said, I sat down to write you a letter and to talk about salvation, but I became influenced by God to do something else. Here's how he says it. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing to that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Wow. He said, I want to talk to you about salvation, but the Holy Spirit has redirected me. And when you're living in the Spirit, he does that. He changes your plans. And he says, I want you to do this or go here instead of where you thought you wanted to go. And this man, living in the Spirit, responded. He said, now, instead of talking to you about salvation, instead, I want to tell you, you need to contend in the faith. You know what that means? 
You need to take the things that you believe and the things that have been given to you spiritually and you need to live them out and you need to not compromise them. That needs to happen external to the church when you go out into the world. It means that you and I are to be ambassadors wherever we go. It means that we're to be light in that darkness. It means that we are to be out of step with a fallen world and being used by God to attract other people to follow him. Did it break your heart this week to hear that the Boy Scouts of America have changed their standards and will allow homosexual boys into scouting? You know what's tragic about that? Watch. Homosexual scout leaders are next. Right around the corner. And we keep getting dumbed down to where we don't respond. A major change in our culture. And they're happening every day. You and I are to be light and salt in this world. And folks, the contrast between us and the fallen world is so significant that if you will just say, Lord, use me, and open your mouth and let him guide you, you'll make a difference. You will. And there's no other cure for what's going on in our country. If you haven't done any reading on the topic of secular humanism, I encourage you to do it. If you go back and look at the first manifesto the secular humanist wrote in 1933, you'll see an explanation for exactly what's going on in our culture today. It's been in place and being worked by a group of people to change our country. If you go to the American Secular Humanist website and look at their logo, it says very clearly, no God. They're atheists. Now's the time for you to contend for your faith. Today. Tomorrow. He also says that we need to contend for our, in our faith because something's happened inside the church. Some people have gotten into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who absolutely do not believe in the traditional orthodox teachings of the church. I'm not talking about any particular denomination. I'm talking about all of them. There are some fundamental teachings that the church has always had that were given to us by the apostles. And all of us in Christendom agree on those fundamentals. And what he is saying to us is back in this day and in every generation up to this very moment, there are those who have crept into the church, come in unnoticed, and their desire is to change the way we understand those fundamental doctrines. So if you look at many of the mainline churches in our country today, they're not doing outreach and evangelism. They're doing social gospel kinds of things, and that's important and good. But I want you to know, nobody else has been called to do outreach and evangelism in our country or any other country other than the church. No other organization has been empowered to do that. God has empowered us to do that. 
So when you f- meet those folks in the church who are talking in unorthodox theology and talking about something that is new to them that you cannot find in the roots of Christianity, you need to not listen to them. You need to discern what's going on and someone's trying to misdirect the church. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, mainline denominations, does not have a voice in America any longer. There was a time just within the last two decades that there was an organization called the Silent Majority. I'm afraid it's the Silent Minority for we are getting smaller, not larger. So we need to know that in lots of churches there are people who are saying, let's not do what we were called to do. Let's do something else. We need to get back to our roots, back to what Scripture teaches. And you know, in the simple way I see things, we need to be people who share Jesus And we need to nurture those who respond under the power and through the love of God and equip them to share Jesus. That's what the church was called to do. And when you do that, you're walking in lockstep with God. And you'll find peace and happiness and joy because you're doing what he wants you to do. I ask that we sing Onward Christian Soldiers this morning for a reason. We need to not wait any longer. All of us. I don't care where you are, what you do, we need to not wait any longer. We need to be the army of God. We need to follow the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and take that banner wherever we go. And never be ashamed of where we are or what we're doing. We need to be his soldiers. Do you understand? Let's pray together. Father, I hope that your word makes us a little uncomfortable. I hope, dear God, that we would offer ourselves to you as bondservants and say to you, Lord, wherever you want me to go and whatever you want me to do, I'll just follow you and I'll trust you. you got a good plan for us, Lord. And it promises to produce peace in our lives. Not in the world, but inside of us. And through all of that, you're going to draw us closer and closer to you. Help us to trust you. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.